Hey everyone, David Bowden here. Before we start the show, we have a special announcement from the team here at Spoken Gospel. As we approach our summer film block, we're filming our final introductions for our whole project on the Bible, including books of the Bible like the book of Revelation and Chronicles, and it's going to be an amazing time. And we are almost finished funding our need for this film block, and we have about $30,000 left to cross the finish line. And we are asking you, our podcast listeners, to help make this possible. So please consider supporting our mission by visiting the Spoken Gospel website, clicking on donate and contributing what you can. Whether you choose to donate once or monthly, we're so grateful for your support. Okay, now on with the show. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture. We believe that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Today's episode is brought to you by Thomas Nelson Publishers and my new book, Rewire Your Heart. Replace Desire for Sin with Desire for God. And that's coming out wherever books are sold October 30th. And it's available for pre-order from your favorite outlet today. So visit rewireyourheartbook.com for all the details. Let's jump in. David has just what? found a bowl, a bowl of jelly. His <laughs> stapler, isn't it? What is happening? It's a uh, office joke. This is our opening joke. Uh, this is the opening joke. Seth is convinced that we need an opening joke here, like whenever the office begins. That's exactly the show of the we office. Uh, Do you know how many more listeners we'd get? We'd get more we listeners if there was joke. a little little opening joke, and then you get the the intro music after that, yeah. and then the actual show starts. That's right. No. Is what we're doing right no, now? we're not doing that right now. Although I think it's turned into that by accident. Here we are. No, I'm not. <laughs> you just myths. I just pushed a bu- imaginary button yes. that started the music, and it didn't. It nothing. Didn't happen. Nothing happened. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give this to you. So anyway, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Um, today we're going to be looking at Exodus 20, which I'm really excited about. It's um, if you don't know, if you don't know, this is um. The Ten Commandments that we're going to be looking at today, which is a huge moment in Scripture. Um, so many commandments. So many. Just ten, actually. It's not, <laughs> it's not that many. We're about to get so many more after that. It took my daughter like three years to count to ten, so no big deal. It's a lot of commandments. Oh, my goodness. If we, yeah, relatively speaking, Rel- for, a, for a two, three, four, three-year-old, you know. It's a lot of it's things. It's a lot of things. Ten commandments. Yeah. I mean, goodness. Um, so last week we looked at God showing up at Mount Sinai. Uh, his his presence descends. The people hear the voice of God. He establishes his covenant with them. If they will uh, obey his voice and do his commands, then God will be their God, and they will be his treasured possession, and they'll be a royal priesthood, and they'll live together. And it's like the fulfillment of Eden, all these great things. And now here comes the commands, right? Where is the start? Command time. Command right. time. Right. All right. So uh, let's let's ask this question first, because uh, there's the Ten Commandments is like a cultural thing, like. It's like a cultural artifact now. People yeah. know the Ten Commandments. Not even if they can't repeat them all. It's either being put up at courthouses <laughs> or, or being down down court <laughs> We are not here to advocate either of those things today. We're just here to look at them. Uh, so, like, what are the Ten Commandments? Uh, I think one of the things I was interested in trying to figure out is: ha- Have we just said like 
oh, these ten should stand apart from the rest of the law. Because, like, right after the Ten Commandments, there's this little interlude, and then we get a bunch more laws. So why these ten? Are, have we, like, after this has been written, have, have people, like, made a big deal out of these? Or is it actually a big deal in the rest of Scripture, the ten? It's kind of what I've wondered, too, because, like, there's a sense, like, God wrote these. Like, there's... All- God put his finger on a tablet of stone. I just imagine some old Christian cartoon where God's like oh finger goodness. comes out of the sky and like carves into the stone the Ten Commandments and then everything else wrote, Moses writes down. Oh my gosh. That's the picture I have in I my gotcha. mind. So what what I found out was really interesting. So um the the actual words Ten Commandments, um, or ten words, words. Ten the ten words is is what it's known as in Hebrew, uh pops up three different times um throughout um, Exodus and then in Deuteronomy, which Deuteronomy means the second law. It's kind of a rehashing of some of these things that we're seeing in Exodus in the law here. And uh, uh, Exodus 34, 28, Deuteronomy 4, 13, and then again, I think it's Deuteronomy 10, I didn't write that one down, is where we see these 10 words. And what we see is really interesting. We see that um, it says that uh, in, in Exodus 34, 28 and Deuteronomy 4, 13, uh, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, are kind of shorthand for the whole covenant, which is I was really surprised by for, the for whole some reason. Covenant, yeah, it's all like, the laws, all the promises. Yeah, let me let me look here. Uh, Exodus thirty-four. What did I say? Exodus thirty-four twenty-eight. I wasn't listening. Oh. <laughs> Hopefully, someone was listening. <laughs> thirty-four twenty-eight. Uh, pulling it up here. Okay, so it says. Uh, I'll I'll start verse 27. So, and the Lord said to Moses, write these words for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights and he ate neither bread nor drank water. And he wrote the tablets of the words of the covenant, comma, the 10 commandments. Hmm. So he wrote the words of the covenant, the 10 words. Right. And so what are the words of the covenant that he wrote down? What's the covenant? Like, what are the commands of the covenant? It's these 10 words. So this is like... A summary, a summary sta- statement. A summary statement. I've That's heard right. that before. Yeah. Where like the Ten Commandments are kind of the introduction. It's like a table of contents almost. And the rest of the law expounds upon how these work right. in a society of two million people. Yes. So it's like, here's the Ten Commandments. And here's the explanation of what that looks like in a judicial system, right. in a legal system, yeah. in a policing system, and like that's I've heard that before. Yeah, and and I think so. That's kind of like going from uh, you just kind of went from table of contents to book. I think there's another way to understand it too. If, you know, going from like uh, complex to more complex. There's also a way to going from complex to less complex, kind of working backwards. Uh, and that's what Jesus did whenever he summed up the law. So like, you know, people came to him and they asked yeah. him, what's the greatest commandment? And love he said, God, love, love, love God first. Second is love your neighbor. Right. And that's the layout of the Ten Commandments. You first have four the, are loving God. That's right. And the last six are loving your neighbor. That's right. And so like God sums, uh, you know, Jesus sums it up like that. And, uh, and the Old Testament knows a bit about that kind of sum up too in the Shema, which is... You know, hero Israel, Israel, the Lord your God is one. You should... I don't remember the last Aww. part. <laughs> Min <Min-ha-adets. laughs> I think that's the bread one. The for... bread one. There's... Anyway. Anyway. So, uh, you know, love, and you must that's love. That's the only Hebrew phrase I know. <laughs> Nobody takes okay. that. The only, the only one I know is Boker Tov. Boker. Which is good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. That's another one. But anyway, so the Shema. Bar Mitzvah. You must love. That's not a, that's not a phrase. It's just a word. <laughs> Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's the you know that's, that's part of the shema. It's part of the command, and so that's the first and greatest command is love God, and we see that here in the Ten Commandments. Um, and, and so I also think so. That, that's kind of important to notice here is that 
what we have here in the Ten Commandments is a summation of the law. Like what you're about to go into with in the rest of Exodus and some of Leviticus and some of Deuteronomy might feel really heavy and and like really arduous. Yeah. But here it's like, oh, at the end of the day, this is what we're talking. This is what about. we're talking about. We're talking about and loving God, loving our neighbor. Not just the law, but the whole covenant. Yeah. So if you guys didn't listen, you should definitely listen to the podcast before this, where we talk about what a covenant is, why a covenant exists. Yeah, definitely. Because this is the second part of the covenant treaty. God makes all these promises. He like recounts what he's done, makes all these promises, and now these are the stipulations. These are the things that Israel must do on their end to uphold the covenant for God to be in relationship with them. Right. And, and so what, what I also want to point out is the progression of the Ten Commandments. So we're kind of taking a, a, a 30,000 foot view of the Ten Commandments first before we kind of look at them. So the progression is really important to notice because it's it's love God first and then love your neighbor because love of neighbor would be impossible on the one hand and pointless on the other if the love of God did not come first. It would be, it would be um, impossible on the one hand because we can't truly love our neighbor until we've loved God. Um, that's what the Bible teaches us over and over again. Right. And then because we also, if you don't love God yep. and you're trying to love your neighbor, but never point them to the thing that is most satisfying, yes. best and most glorious, most beautiful, you're not actually loving them. Right. Right. That's yes. what you mean when you yes. say that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, yeah. And, and then it would also be pointless on the other hand, because uh, I think it's more pointless is what you're going at, which is like. You might love your neighbor. Sure, you might like give them a, you know, give them a cup of sugar and, you know, be a good person and everything like that, but you're not pointing them to that which is most good. I think that's what I mean by pointless. Okay. By impossible, I think I mean that we cannot truly love people until we are truly loved. Like until we have experienced this exodus love of God that frees us from slavery and loves us despite our doubt and our faithlessness and our sin, until we've experienced that gospel love that that the people of Israel have experienced in the Exodus, we cannot love others truly and deeply because they're going to stomp all over us and right. backbite us and all those things too. So you're not grounded that's in right. the love that God has for you yeah. and your love for him, everybody else's love or lack of love will be crushing. That's right. And you'll be won't be able to like right. res- respond contrary to kind. Contrary yes. to how you That's exactly right. right. So I think we the progression is really important. Love God comes first and then love of neighbor. But there's actually something that comes before all this, because at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, um, and this is really interesting, um, I, I read that, because uh, I didn't know there was so much debate over how many commandments, like which which commandment was the first commandment. And I was surprised by this. I was too. like, oh my goodness. So I don't want to get into that, because it's honestly not important. Like It's not super important. But what's interesting is the Jewish reckoning of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is actually, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They count that as the first one. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah, I like so, that. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, regardless of whether we should count that as the first word or not, um, and when you and when you translate it word and not commandment, it makes more sense because that's does. not a commandment, but it is a word and it's an important one. And it's actually the grounding of the whole covenant. Right. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, have no other gods besides me. Right. That so, makes so much sense. It does. It makes so much sense. So what's the grounding of love God? God's it's God's grace. love for you. God's yeah. grace for you. Grace grounds the whole covenant. So how do we begin to love God uh, that then we can then love neighbor? It all goes back to God first loved us, which we see this in Jesus Christ perfectly, right? Right. Like, uh, and, and what's what I love before we jump to the gospel here, what's cool is Jesus actually embodies this type of progression perfectly in his life. And so in John 14, 31, 
you know, he, he shows that he first loves God. He says, but uh, I'll read this here. So John 14, 31, but so that the world may know that I love the father, I do exactly as the father commanded me get up and let us go from here. And then they go out and go to right. um, the garden. So uh, it's amazing. He's like, I love the father. Therefore I do everything he commands. So we see Jesus fulfilling this first part of the 10 commandments where obey God's law by loving him. We see that him doing that. And then we also see him loving others. He, uh, he, you know, he, he like greater love knows, knows no one than this. That he lays down his life for his friend. Talk about loving your neighbor. Yeah. Jesus does that perfectly. Um, washes his disciples feet that's right dies for them that's yeah. right and and he becomes obedient to the point of death right as philippians 2 says um and and so and then we know that in romans 8 all the righteous requirements of the law romans 8 4 have been fulfilled for us in christ right. so he is the perfect embodiment of the ten commandments jesus is he yeah. loves god does all he does all that god commands and then loves neighbor out of that perfectly, laying down his life for them, becoming obedient to death. It would not be inappropriate for Jesus to say, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh, Jesus. I am Yahweh who brought you out of sin and death, out of that slavery. That's right. Have no other God besides me. That's right. And that's what he does. Jesus does take that claim upon himself. Jesus is the one who has brought us out of sin and death, out of the house of slavery, we have experienced a new exodus because of his death, burial, and resurrection. We've been ransomed out, brought out of our slavery to sin. And because of his gospel love for us, he, he's calling us to love him, obey him, and follow him. So the ground for the commands, the 10 words for, you know, the covenant of Israel and now for us who are Jesus followers is not like, well, God said it, so you must do it. It's uh, grace. Yeah, it's it's grace. The ground is grace. Jesus has ransomed us from slavery. He's bought us by, the, by his blood out of sin and death. Therefore, have no other gods before me. Right. Follow me. Oh, love me. Love your name. He's earned our love. He's bought our love. He's so anyway, he's he's yeah. the he's he's the lawgiver. And it's, he's the law keeper. I mean, he's the law keeper. The law keeper is he's kept the law for us now because he has lived perfectly, loving God and loving neighbor on our behalf, earning the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf. He's given us this grace, and now we can move into following his commands because of that grace. Yes. He's the law keeper by his power. Yeah, and he's not just the law keeper, but right. you said it. He's <laughs> also the law giver. Freudian slip. Yeah, he. <laughs> which is anyway. <laughs> I was gonna. Never mind. <laughs> you were gonna do a big reveal. And I, I spoiled it. No, no, I was just going to talk about Freud for a second. Oh, don't do that. So one of the things that we should know is that in the book of Matthew, when Matthew describes Jesus, he sets him up to be a new Moses and specifically a new law giver. Mm. So we've already mentioned some of these in the pa- past podcasts, but it so bears it bears repeating. It bears here. repeating. So Jesus is the new Moses, right? According to the author of Matthew. Pharaoh wanted to kill Moses. Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Yep. Pharaoh ordered all the male Hebrew children killed and thrown into the river. Herod ordered every child under two years old killed. And then when Herod died and Pharaoh died, Moses goes back to Egypt. And then Jesus goes back to Israel. And in the way that Matthew sets up his book, what are we waiting for? If you've been clued in and you're thinking like, oh, there's all these parallels between Jesus mm-hmm. and Moses, like you're waiting for a new exodus. Right. You're waiting for a new deliverer who's going to rescue Israel from exile. Right. So that's what you're kind of 
seeing and being prepared for. And then the next thing we're told is Jesus' name. He will save the people Mm. from their sins. And as soon as we're told that, we see Jesus's baptism. Yeah. And it's this picture of Jesus of crossing the Red Sea, which right. is kind of not super clear, but it, we're told that in 1 Corinthians 10. It's funny. You've, you, you're like, it's not super clear. I've always been super convinced I by was that. Like, I was you're like, like, I need a proof text. I need, I need, I need someone text. else to be like, I agree with this. But just, and so, and, and Paul First says Corinthians it, 10. and just as we, the Israelites pass through the clouds and the sea, we pass through the waters of baptism. Yeah. So like... In the biblical mind, when Jesus is baptized, it is the dawning of the Exodus. It's the uh, way out right. from sin and slavery. Yes, that's right. And then right after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness. Right, just like for Exodus 40 did, days. or just like Israel did. Just like Israel did for, the Red sea. for forty years in the wilderness. But Moses specifically mm-hmm. spends forty days on the mountain on the in mountain, the wilderness, not eating water, not eating water, not, not eating water, not eating food or drinking water, that's just right. like Jesus did. Yep. And as soon as he comes off the mountain. He delivers the law. The yes. law is delivered to the people. Yep. And in Matthew, after Jesus spends 40 days and 40 nights without water or food, he comes up onto another mountain and he delivers the Sermon on the Mount. Right. The new, this new quote unquote law. Right. He's giving us the new law. Right. Like, so Jesus is being set up as the perfect law giver yeah. as well. Right. Which is kind of cool. It's, it's really cool. And really masterful of Matthew. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's like so oh, beautiful. Yeah, I love that. It, it really is. The Bible continually blows my mind with how masterfully it's written. I mean, even even non-believers like, study the Bible professionally because it's such a work of art. It's beautiful. It's complete. So what's really cool is Jesus, you know, I, I want to tease out what does it mean that Jesus is the new lawgiver too? Because I think that's really interesting. Uh, the first thing I want to note uh, in the Sermon on the Mount that I didn't understand for a long time was the Beatitudes section. Um, and so, the, you know, it's like, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, you know, for you will inherit the earth, for you, you know, all these things. And I was like, okay, so these are characteristics that I need to have right? In order to be blessed. Right. That's how I've always understood it. Like I need to be meek and I need to uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness and I need to do all these things and then I'll be blessed. But if we understand this as Jesus talking to the people in the exile, then actually what he's saying is he's talking to them. He's like, you are meek. You are, you are hungering and thirsting. Like you, you are these things. Right. Therefore I am here to bless you yeah. And give you the earth and my presence and my you'll be filled and and we see that in Luke too. The first thing that happens after Jesus is in the wilderness is he goes to the synagogue and he preaches out of the book of Isaiah. Right. Uh, or is it Isaiah? Uh, the year of Jubilee. The, the yeah, it's like I've come to prepare the year of Jubilee. I'm the right. one who sets the captives free. I'm the one who re- and who who does he assume are the ones that are oppressed? Yep. Who are the ones that need to be set free? Who are the one who need restoration? It's the people of Israel. Yes. So it makes total sense yes. that this would be another version That's right. of that same proclamation. Yep. And so Jesus is saying, like, he, he's not saying like earn these things, like come and 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 become these characteristics, like be meek and then I'll bless you. He's like, you are already meek and beaten down, and you're hungry and you're thirsty because you're exiled in the land of sin and death. And I'm here to set you free. Right. Like, Which is the first word. I oh, am the Lord your God. Yes. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Yes. Out of the house of slavery. So like the Beatitudes. Oh, the Beatitudes are, are the new 
first word. It's the new first oh, word. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I've never made that connection before. That's so cool. Um, I, I, I don't want to, I don't, we'll, we'll have to come back to the Sermon on the Mount. We'll have to talk more about it. But before we leave Jesus as the lawgiver, I want to bring up his high priestly prayer in John. Okay. Because I read this yesterday and I was like, oh my gosh. So look at this. So uh, John 17 verses six to eight. Let me read this. I have manifested your name. So God, Jesus is talking to his father, God, right? So I have manifested your name, God, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, uh, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you, that, that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So check this out. In here we see a picture of what just happened in Exodus 19 and 20. So he says that he has manifested the name of God. Jesus manifests the name of God just like God was manifested on Mount Sinai and spoke his name to Moses. Right. Uh, you know, we know that he spoke his name in Exodus 3 when he said he's the I am. And then whenever he shows his glory to Moses, he says, I'm going to speak my name to you. And he talks about how he is... Um, a God who is is not quick to anger, but will by no means clear the guilty. And we see that name foreshadowed here in the Ten Commandments. It's actually repeated, this name of God. So that's really cool. So Jesus manifests the name of God. Yeah. So he is, he is the glory of God that came upon Mount Sinai. Like that is who Jesus is. And then he says that he proclaimed... Um, he, he, he proclaimed God's words to those that God called out. He's like, you've given me these people... So Jesus, or uh, God called out the people of Israel out of Egypt, just like uh, Jesus has had this little group of, of people called out from the world. Right. And so it, it's amazing, these, these connections. And then Jesus receives the words of God and gives them to the people, just like Moses did, uh, like you just pointed out. Yeah. And then he, he and, and so we see him as this new lawgiver who mm. is God, is God's glory, um, performs God's word and then delivers them to the people but he he gives them differently because he's he's the law giver who's the law keeper so he gives them as he's giving the commands to the people he is saying to god and i've kept the words and then i give the words that you gave me to the people and give them the power to obey them unlike yes, the people of Israel. because they're because i've already obeyed them right so now i can bless them because they were meek and poor and hungry and thirsty, I blessed them with the righteousness earned by the law. So the law. way that Jesus is better than the law given at Mount Sinai is that when the glory of the Lord was manifested and the law went out, the people heard it and they said, we agree. Yeah. But they weren't able to keep it because there was actually no power keeper right. and who could give them power in order to keep it. Yeah. But in Jesus, we have the glory of the Lord manifested. He keeps the law perfectly he proclaims a law yes. to his people and then as he proclaims it he's also living it perfectly mm. and then embodying those people who he's spoken over the power in order to keep the law that's now, a that's a clearer simpler way of what i was <laughs> fumbling around that's, trying that's to say what I, that's what i'm here for yes thank you because yeah that was hard to articulate but jesus yes. is the perfect law keeper yes and he's the perfect law giver that's it period <laughs> So we have talked about Jesus' perfect law keeper, mm -hmm. perfect law giver, yep. and the foundation of the commands being grace. Yes. Let's talk about the actual commands. Okay, let's uh, do it. 
Let's do it. <laughs> there's 10 of them. There's 10. There's... We don't have to talk about all 10, right? Uh, Maybe. I don't know. We should talk about the first four. Okay. As a kind of a grouping. Sure. As like obeying God, loving God first yeah. as the foundation for all the other commands. Okay. So I think it was Martin Luther, John Calvin said that you can't actually disobey any of the other commands right. without disobeying the first. That was Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Yeah, in his in his shorter catechism. Right, yeah. because if you have another love besides God... You are idolatrous. You're idolatrous, yeah. and idolatry represents itself in things like not honoring your parents, That's and right. lying, and stealing, yep. and not, not just from other people around you, right. but from the Lord himself. Yes, and every sin is... You know, if you... Let's say you covet, right? Let's say you break the 10th commandment, that you're also breaking the first commandment. Right. Like if if I if I have extramarital sex, sex outside of marriage, I am saying that what God has set up for the greatest means of my salvation or for my sorry for my satisfaction, not salvation, for the greatest means of my satisfaction right. inside the covenant of marriage, I'm saying no I know how to better provide for myself, how to better satisfy myself, how to better find fulfillment, how to live a wiser life than God and, than God does. And I am saying I will make the rules for my life. And now I've become my own God or my culture or right. what they say about sex has become my own God. You've repeated the sin of Adam and Eve. That's exactly right. right. I, I've wanted to become my own God to to define good and evil for myself. And so every sin breaks the first commandment. Yes. Right. Okay. That's right. And then we have this interesting one in verse five. Don't bow down and serve these other gods. For I am the Lord your God, and am a jealous God, visiting yeah. the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love and keep my commandments. Right. Now, we're going to come back up against this exact same phrase later um, in okay. Exodus, whenever Moses asks to see the God's glory, and God passes by him in the cleft of the rock. He says, yes, I'll pass by, make all my glory pass by you, and I will proclaim my name to you. And then he repeats this and adds a little bit to it. Okay. So that'll be a more central focus. So let's leave that for the, now. For now, what we want to see is that God is the one who defines the law. Yes. He defines the good life. And to choose to live away contrary to his commands is to reject the God who made the law. That's right. That's what we're trying to right. see right now. Yes. And so it's no wonder that you're going to have iniquity visited upon you if you disobey, because God has set up everything for your good and says, this is how to live in the good. And if you don't do that, there's going to be punishment. And right. then, but if... And you, punishment being both active and passive. Like, active I, and passive. I right. will visit the iniquity, That's but right. also, if you live a life full of greed, you will experience the consequence of life full of greed. That's right. You will not care about your family as you should because yep. you care about money more your life will be marked by dissatisfaction of it never having enough and greed will end up being its own consequence yeah. so there's this active yeah. and passive like right because it can't just be passive a right. lot of people want to just make it passive and say like well when god says that he'll punish sin he means that sin is its own punishment uh, but the problem with that is, if you look at the psalmist... Mrs. Picklewickle makes that point. What? <laughs> Mrs. Picklewickle, have you ever read that? I have no clue what you're talking There's about. There's like this whole section, there's this whole like series of children's books called Mrs. Picklewickle. Oh. You have a new boy. This you is my this is my, my four-week-old's not reading yet. <laughs> and it's that's the premise of the entire series, like these little disobedient children. Yeah. Mrs. Picklewickle cures them by letting them experience the full outcome of their disobedience. Oh, hilarious. So there's like this radish girl who doesn't want to take a shower, never wants to bathe, 
parents classic radish that's stereotypical radish and so she like goes out and she doesn't bathe for months and months and months until she has this layer of literal dirt on her that's an inch thick and so she tells the parents go into her room at night and plant radish seeds all over her her body and so the next morning she starts sprouting all these radishes all over her body and like her parents pick one out and eat them and they do that until she takes a shower that's really weird (laughs) what the point i was going to make (laughs) is about psalm 73 and how this is a better point this is is definitely a better point uh so psalm 73 you have david and he's he's saying that his foot almost slipped how he he almost like lost his faith in god because he's he's like the greedy and those who cheat and do injustice they're rich and they're healthy and they eat good food like what's going on why aren't they falling into their own sin like where's their punishment it's not here. They're sinning and getting blessed, it looks like. Right. And he says, but then I remembered their end. And their end, he starts talking about God's punishment on them, active punishment. And so it's like, sin is not always its own consequence here in this life. Like, sometimes you do get a leg up in this world yeah. if you sin, but not ultimately. So this can't just be passive punishment. Right. It's also God's active punishment. And so as we talk about that, the next command is you... So like in the, this context of thinking about God as the perfect law giver, perfect law keeper, based on grace, making sure that we obey the commands so that we escape judgment, both passively and actively, mm-hmm. the command is, you shall not take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain. Yeah. So what is that? So for me, <laughs> even just setting it up the way that we have... I'm already thinking, normally it's like, don't say the G word. Right. Don't say the DG word. Like, you know, it's like, don't, right. that's. But even setting up as you have, you're asking different questions of this command than you normally would. Right. Right. You're saying, okay, so uh, he brought us out of slavery, so have no other gods before him, uh, because he is this God who who punishes and blesses based on these commands, therefore don't take my name in vain. Right. It's like, that's weird. So I think what we have to understand is, the name of God is a really central theme in Exodus, right? It's like Moses in Exodus 3, when he's at the burning bush, said, well, what's your name, God? What should what, what should people call you? And he reveals that his name is Yahweh. He is the I am. He's the I am with you. He's the I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the keeper of the covenant. And now we have this keeper of the covenant who said that my name is, I am with you. My name is, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the covenant keeper. We now come to the covenant giving moment. Right. And he says, don't take my name, I am, in vain. And we know he's talking about the actual name, I am, because literally the text is translated. It says, you know, in, in our version, it says, don't take the name of the Lord, your God. But it's, right. It's it's Yahweh Elohim, which is all capitalized. It's all capitalized. Right. A, capital L O R D. So and if so you see it, that new Bibles, by the way, that that's means Yahweh. Yahweh the and so he says, Don't take the name Yahweh, who is your God, in vain. So he's mm. like, I've given you this covenant name that you can call upon whenever you are in trouble, that you can entreat, that you can worship. Like, I am with you. Like that is not something for you to take in vain. The fact that I've come upon this mountain, that I'm with you. Like, it's not so much even saying the name Yahweh. It's don't take the fact that I am with you in vain. Like, in fact, he's about to go through all this this stuff about the tabernacle and how to approach him, what his presence means, how to live in community with him. He's like, that's not something that's empty. So in Hebrew tradition, they don't even say the name they would Yahweh. They would replace it with Adonai. So, so practically then, what does it mean, like, in my everyday life, like, it's Monday morning, how do I not take the Lord God Right. Like, right. what does that mean? Yes. So I think I think what it means is, like, it means that God has put his name. If you're a Christian, 
God has put his name on you like he put his name on Israel. He says, you are my people. I am with you. Yahweh is with you. Don't make that a vanity. Don't make that empty. Like, and, and he's giving these rules to show people, show his people how to live in community with him and in such a way that he dis- they, they display his holiness as a royal priesthood out into the world. So, it's, so really what you're saying is taking the name of your name in vain is, isn't swearing. Right. It's disobedience. That's right. Which so, is what we're talking about. This is commands. Right, right. It's disobedience. Right. So when the way that we take the Lord, the name of the Lord God in vain is actually by breaking the commandments. Right. If we were to steal, if we were to lie, if we were to dishonor our father if and mother. If we were to not put him first in all things. We would actually, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Right. We're saying like, you have been with us, God. You've set us apart. You've, you've given ransomed us. a new us. identity. You've, that's right. And you're not acting according to that identity. That's right. That would be him giving you his name in vain. It would be vanity that he give, that he gave you his name. And so, yeah. So how much more so than in Jesus is this command? Yes. Like intensified. So one of the things about the Sermon on the Mount is it takes all these external commands and places them on the heart. So this automatically makes more sense now. When Jesus has given us a new identity, it's because he's remade our heart. He's put a new heart inside of us. So to take the name of the Lord God in vain from your heart Mm. doesn't mean just don't commit adultery. It means don't lust. Right, which takes us back to the Sermon on the Mount. Which takes us to the Sermon on the Mount, right. Don't murder becomes don't hate. Right, because so it moved from outside to inside. That's that's I amazing. That's, I, I've never thought about it like that. Like, that's wow, great. that's that's phenomenal. And I think of like the intensification of this command, I kind of think of it in like um, like in Paul's language where it's like, you've been you've been freed from sin. How can you live it any longer? Like, You've like you've been bought with the blood of Jesus. How could you go back to your former ways of death? Like that's taking the name of Jesus in vain. Like you've been freed. Like it is for yeah. freedom Christ set you free. Stand firm then and do not be burdened once again by the yoke of slavery. Galatians five one says. Like you why don't don't bear the name of Jesus in vain. Live in your freedom. That's so fascinating. I've never thought about like disobedience really as taking the name of the Lord God in vain. Right. And like even like the structure of Ephesians and Colossians, where it's like the gospel in the front. Here's what the gospel looks like. Oh my gosh. And then the second half is here's what the gospel looks like in practice. Right. That's actually mirroring the Ten Commandments. It is. And oh my goodness. To take the name of the Lord God in vain is to ignore the first part or is is to ignore the commands. Right. But assume you belong. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's really cool. So the next commandment is keep the Sabbath. Yeah. This has always been a really weird one for me because I've always kind of felt low-grade guilty for not keeping the Sabbath my entire life. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Because it's like, oh, I'm working all day on Saturday. I had to cut the grass. I had to do this. I had to do that. And I didn't really rest. It's in the Ten Commandments. God wrote it. Yeah. Like I'm supposed to take a break. It's in the it's in the pattern of all creation. Yeah, it's like built into seventh, creation. On the seventh day he rested. And then all the appeals to like the New Testament, well, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Right. Have never He like, freed us from that command. I was like, but right. he didn't free me from the command to, to not, not kill. To not kill. <laughs> or Je- not, Jesus was the Jesus was the ultimate murdered one, so you can murder. <laughs> right. So right. I'm like, I don't quite understand. How does that work? But since everybody does it. I just, culturally, we don't celebrate the Sabbath. so so I'm fine with it. And I mean, Paul talks about like, I hate, like, you use those Sabbath days. Like some honor and esteem one day more than another. But still, it's like, well, which which one should I do? I've always felt a lot of anxiety about whether or not. I'm sure you're not alone there. (laughs) Whether or not I should keep the Sabbath. 
Yeah, I think I've always understood it like, oh, metaphorically, like you should take a Sabbath, you know, and like that's kind of become a cultural colloquialism. Like, you know, just take a sabbatical. You know, right. Like, yeah. That's Professors a, take sabbaticals. You know, right. Pastors take sabbaticals. Yeah, CEOs take sabbaticals. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, like as Christians, maybe, you know, once a week, just stop and spend time with your family, read the Bible together and worship, like, and then check off the Sabbath box. Yeah. That's your Sunday time together. That's the Sabbath. That's, that's the Sabbath. I go to church. Like, that's the, that's what's happening, right? Right. So <laughs> are you for the Sabbath? Do you keep the Sabbath? Like, me? When, are yeah, you asking yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. I keep the Sabbath every day. Oh. Oh, you just, I just, I just did it. I, that's where, that's where I'm going. Oh, I'm not, well, I'm not you, super surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you, I'll let you go for it then. Cause well, I think we're you, on the same page here. So one of the things, the most clear, as I was studying this passage, the most clear thing that I was told is the reason that Jesus was, did not keep the Sabbath. Cause mm-hmm. he got, on, the Pharisees got onto him oh, over yeah. and over again for, for not, breaking the Sabbath right. rules. Yes. And sometimes he's breaking the Sabbath rules because they've added rules to the Sabbath. Right. And he's like, um, breaking the religious rules, right. not he's, the actual he's, rules. He's healing someone on the Sabbath, right. which is never said you can't do that. Right. Yeah. But Jesus takes it one step further. Right. So when the Pharisees are debating him, he says, no, the reason I don't, I can work on the Sabbath is because me and my disciples are priests. Mm-hmm. So Matthew twelve five, have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, but are guiltless. So he's comparing himself and the disciples to priests. Right. And so he's like, the reason why I work on the Sabbath is I'm a priest. Right. I, my disciples are exception. priests. Yeah. And then what I was thinking about, was like, so by Jesus's act and work on the cross, we become a nation Right. A priest. Which we, which was just talked about in Exodus Exodus nineteen. That's exactly that right. A nation, a royal priesthood. We, so we are become a nation of priests right. who are always working. Yep. But because the great priestly work of atoning for sins has already been done by Christ, we are actually also always resting. That's right. The work of rest. It, it, it like Hebrews talks about uh, a Sabbath rest remains for a, like a long time. It says it over and over again. A Sabbath rest remains. And what is that Sabbath rest? It's that Christ has done all the work. Therefore, those who believe in him have rested from their work. So like when I say that I observe, observe the Sabbath every day, I'm saying that I'm constantly resting from my work, from my toilsome, meritorious labor to try to become right with God. Yeah. or like peaceful with myself, I've rested from that because Jesus has done everything necessary to reconcile me to the Father, atone for my sin, bring me peace, make me whole. Every day I rest in the yeah. Sabbath. But it also like redeems real like real work. Real work, like yeah. working with your hands and going to your job and spending time in the office. It redeems that. Makes it priestly. It makes it priestly. Yeah. It makes it like this is the moment where you extend grace to others and the Lord meets you in mm. spaces all around your city and where you're working and you become these priestly outpost for the kingdom of God. Like right. it redeems and dignifies right. all work, whether yeah. you're a post officer, post officer, a post officer, <laughs> a policeman or a police, a policeman or a postman, a postman, <laughs> like which is a, sexist. It, oh, police shoot. officer and a post woman, person, post person, a post person, a post person. But like it redeems that work. Yeah. So not only are you freed from feeling like your work is your identity. Yes. Because your real identity is a priest. As a priest as of a, Jesus. A priest of Jesus. Yeah. And that work is guaranteed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And if we've talked already about the intensification of these commands. It's like, okay, observe the Sabbath day, you know, once a week. 
It's like, no, we are always observing the Sabbath. Like that's an intensification, but it's a good one. And it's like, that's why Jesus can say like, my burden is light and my yoke is easy because like, he's like, the work's been done. So rest, let me like, it's a twofold thing. He's like, I'm going to redeem your work. I'm going to provide you real Sabbath rest in my, in my completed work on the cross. Well, that's really, (laughs) that's really all we have time for today. We've made it at least through the first commandments about our relationship with God, loving God, right? Um, First two commandments in uh, the loving others section. Although I guess Sabbath is Sabbath is is the I've heard that the Sabbath is like the bridge between the two. It's how you move from right relationship with God to right relationship with others. Great, so natural stopping point. Natural stopping point. Uh, We just had a lot of ground to cover, so we're actually going to do two parts on Exodus twenty and the Ten Commandments here. So next week we're going to talk about the social commandments here where it's like, you know, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, love those things. Love your love your mom. Love mom. From those will be our special Mother's Day podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, please let's just delay all <laughs> just this. delay it. Just delete release on Mother's Day. And then we'll we'll also talk about um how God came and manifested himself on the mountain, not so the people would be afraid, but so they would fear the Lord, which seems like a contradiction in terms. Yeah, so we'll do need, not fear right that the fear of him may be before it's you. It's hilarious. <laughs> so we'll talk about that. And then we'll also talk about this this altar that is really strange. It's like just build a simple altar of of earth. Um, don't don't take a don't don't make it beautiful. Like don't put a, a a tool to it. And then right after this, we're gonna get this elaborate altar. And like so, what's going on here? It seems like there's contradictory altars being commanded by God. Uh, so what what's actually happening here? What's what's trying to be brought so up? Want to so, know about fear? Yeah. About loving your mom, <laughs> stealing, and altars. Tune in next week. That's going to be it. So that's that's it for this week's uh, episode of Spoken Gospel Podcast. Uh, you guys are awesome. Thanks for listening. Um, Seth, any final parting parting words from you? Mm, mm. I have none. But you should like us on the podcast app of your choosing with five stars, preferably. Oh, yeah. yeah, rate us. Rate mean. us. Yeah. That's what I mean. What yeah. did I say? <laughs> like us. I said like us. I like us I mean, with five stars. Yeah, like us with five stars. So Just yeah. like kindergarten. Yep. Go five give us five stars. stars. That helps and then, a lot. Like, leave a comment so other people know what we're about. Yeah, and, yeah. Give us your thoughts on the podcast. Tell us how amazing it is. <laughs> I legitimately read comments. Oh, for I do everything. too. Before I, yeah, yeah. So yeah, please leave a comment. Uh, leave a rating. Subscribe if you haven't. Share it with your friends. Uh, yeah, we got. We really appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We'd like to remind you that my new book, Rewire Your Heart, Replace Your Desire for Sin with Desire for God, is coming out October 30th. Pre-orders are now available from your favorite retailer. And for all the information, for special offers, for group discussion guides, journal prompts, free chapters, and more, you can visit rewireyourheartbook.com. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture in every corner of the world. To learn more about the ministry of Spoken Gospel and to view more of our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.